righty, Kevin. Thanks for sitting down with me, man. I really appreciate it. Perfect. So first question for you is when you meet someone for the first time and you're at, maybe you're at a party or you're just at a networking event, whatever it is, how do you explain what you do? Wow. That's a great question. Cause, and this has come up even recently. It's very difficult to explain what we do. Nobody even listens or cares as I'm explaining it until they have a need for us or if they've had a need in the past for us. And then at that point, they totally get it and understand and see it. But we've had close family members. So I guess maybe I should even back up and explain what I do first before I can get into into that. Let's do it. So we own a restoration company that specifically works in the insurance restoration world or the insurance loss world so that if your house had a fire damage or a water damage or or the commercial building had had a fire damage water damage mold those are the ones that we see the most and by far of that water is hugely the majority of what we see now if someone has that damage and it it's damaged enough of their property to go into an insurance claim versus that they could take care of it themselves uh, to care of it themselves. It, uh, it, it really behooves them to involve a company like us to make sure we get it all dried out and cleaned up properly so that they're not going to have mold damage or rot damage later on it, on their property. So it protects their investment. And then also on top of that, we also put it back together. And, you know, like our competition might say, like it never happened, you know. So that is is what we do. But you can explain that to people at a party all you want. And then 10 days later, you see on Facebook that they had a claim and they're like, man, we didn't know who to call. And we we called this company and they really stunk. And I was like, we just talked about that like two weeks ago. (laughs) How come you didn't call me? They're like, I didn't realize that's exactly what you do. (laughs) So uh, that's funny. It is. It is funny, and and that happens more than than you would guess. But so it's an unusual scenario. We're not just a regular general contractor. If you want to remodel your bathroom, we're not the best fit. We're not the people to call. Yeah. It really only if insurance isn't involved, you can probably find a better way to to get to where you want to go at a better value. But. If insurance is involved, there's not a better way to get your house back to the way you want it with the least amount of aggravation possible. Got it. Okay. So, so when you were let's let's take it back, and we'll get to where you are today because I have so many questions for you. But let's take it back to when you were getting started in this business. How'd you get into this business? So before this, and I'll go all the way back to how I started my own business, and then kind of morphed into the different things that I've done over the years. We started by building decks in 1996. And myself and another guy, we were partners and we didn't have anything else to do really. We were pretty young at the time. I was probably 25 or something like that. And anyways, we started building these decks and we realized to make any money, we had to really build a lot of decks, right? Yeah. And so we got in with the home builders uh, that were in this area at the time and got behind, went behind production builders and started building their decks for them. And it was super satisfying. Imagine we got it down to a science where you could put a deck on a, a house every day and we'd make about $1,000, you know? And back in the day, that was awesome. You know? I mean, that was just really, you know, really cool. So... In that, that kind of morphed into, I mean, within a couple of years, we're doing over a million dollars in decks a year, you know, and when you're 25, wow. that's a big deal. You yeah. know, you're like, holy shit, I'm killing it, you know? <laughs> and so we, we kind of kept growing that. Well, that grew us large enough where we had an opportunity and enough money to start building houses. Got so it. we started building houses. That turned out to be a great fit for us. We were good at it. We loved it. It's very fulfilling to take a blank lot or a lot, you know, that has trees on it, take all the trees down, throw a beautiful house up, put the landscaping back. And then someone comes to you and say, Hey, I want to pay you for this. You know, and you do that in four or five months. It's very satisfying. Yeah. Okay. I did the right thing. I I picked the right plan. I did all these things, right. Pick the right colors that, that someone wants to pay me for, especially when the house down the street, they did the exact same thing, but they did it a little bit different. And, your sales first and your sales for better money. So it's, it's very gratifying. Yeah, yeah. It's super gratifying. So we were doing that for years and loved it. Uh, 
And up until, for us, the you know the, the economy turned. Some people in part of the country, maybe it's 2008, eight nine. We were it hit uh, me more about closer to 2010 uh, is when the music stopped mm-hmm. for us. We lost a ton of money in 18 months, two years, really? and and still we we got out of there with our shirt, but that was about it. Mm. So I'd I'd taken this company, you know, or, or, or this construction company from nothing to made a good deal of money to gave it all back, you know, and, and back to almost zero. That must've been super humbling. It was, it it really was. I mean, at the time we lived across the street in McGregor Downs in a super big, nice house, you know, all the, all the cool things that you could have. We had a place at the beach, we had boats, boat slips, you know, all that stuff and really literally gave it all back. You know, and not we did it without going bankrupt. You know, we sold everything, liquidated everything and lived off that money. So at the time, I mean, I had friends right beside me that were just going bankrupt left and right. We were fortunate enough to and had made some good decisions where we didn't have to financially go bankrupt, but we did have to sell everything we had, you know, just to get through. So we got to that point. And then during that time of having nothing to do, nobody's buying houses we ended up getting a couple of these jobs that were, hey, my whole house flooded or my whole house burned down. And it was really the only work for me to do. So we wow. took it and and it was decent work. It paid okay, especially at the time. I mean, it paid money, which was great because, you know, something coming in versus everything going out was nice. So anyways, to get to that, we started doing that. and But at that point, that's the rebuild part of the process. To learn the what we call the mitigation part of the process, which is the cleaning up and the you know drying out the demo that kind of thing, we didn't have any clue about that. So, my trim guy who had done my trim for years, he came to me with an idea, and he's like, "Man, let's go take these classes and let's start a business together and let's do this." Wow! And I was like, "All right, I got nothing else to do, you know, so let's go do it." We did that, and I didn't really know if my heart was going to be in it or not. And then after. We started this company, both developed it, started buying equipment for it, and it was very slow the first year. I mean, just terribly, painstakingly slow. We still had a lot of the rebuilds to do, but not getting into the the mitigation part of it. There were other companies and big players in the area that were doing it. It was slow enough where it kept. We had to keep pumping money into the company, and very quickly, the my partner was like, "Hey, man, I I got no more money to pump in." You know, he's like, "You can buy me out or not." You know, so I, I did buy him out. It was you know, it was not a lot of money, and and decided to you know, hey, I can I think I can make this thing work. During that, this was over the course of a couple of years. So, in 2010 is when we actually started the company. Not until 2012 did we truly start saying, hey, I'm no longer going to try to keep building houses. I'm going to start putting my, all my eggs into this other basket. And then we changed that over the next 18 months. So by 2014, we weren't building houses anymore. We were pretty much done. What made you, when you bought your part, partner out, what made you say, hey, I think I can do this? Wow. I guess being a small business owner, no matter what, you're somewhat of a gambler. You know, you take on these projects and see how they work. I really liked the idea and thought that there, there's money to be made here. And and I really thought I could get into it easier, you know, than it actually took me. I thought, like, man, it's, it's going to be easy to, you know, we'll be printing money on the other side of this thing, you know. And so I believed in what we were doing and how we were helping people yeah. and, and how, you know, the process could work. And I just kept feeling like if I could just get a little bit further, get my foot in the door with another agent or another adjuster or, you know, anything like that. Yeah. So I guess I just believed in myself. But, you know, I'd also I didn't have a whole lot to lose. You know, I'm like, what's going to happen? I'm going to go broke again. Like I'm already broke. You know, So it's not doesn't hurt my feelings. Yeah. And one of the big motivating factors for me was that if I could develop this company and if I could create something that it would be sellable later on down the road. Yeah. Unlike a home building business that is myself, there is no value. And I had a great business and it made really good money, but there was no value to that business for anybody else. Mm. No one else could come in and run that business, right? And the name of it was Kevin Ryder Homes. When Kevin left Kevin Ryder Homes, there's no sale, right? So I thought, what could I create that I would not have to 
lose a million dollars again, you know, in months. Yeah. So, a little bit more sustainable. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah. and also what could be, you know, not economy proof, but a little bit more resistant. And I think, you know, that's, that's why I got into what I do. And man, I, my home builder friends have reinvented themselves and been back, you know, in the market and they're killing it right now, you know? And I look at them, like, look at them, like, did I make the right decision? You know, but I always feel like we're only, we're around the corner from another hiccup, you know, and today more than ever, like I know. we're around the corner from another hiccup. I think know? so too. Uh, so hopefully, I've, you know, time will tell, but in the next five years that I position myself correctly, you know? Yeah. So, so talk to me about, let's keep going with the story, right? So, you know, 2010, you start this business right after kind of closing up and doing, I guess you, it was a gradual transition from home building into this restoration side. It was, side. and overlapped a little bit. Okay. Where we ran two companies out of one place, okay. you know, for a while. And you're just kind of gradually, the restoration side starts to heat up. That, that's right. Yeah. The, yep. And we did have to make a conscious effort to no longer seek out building homes. Yeah. And during that time, we'd have, for the first year and a half, two years, I mean, we didn't do anything as far as building houses. And then the market started coming back just gradually. And there were, we'd have a handful of pre-sales. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we just said, no more. We're focusing all onto this one particular thing. Okay. And so, so where you guys are today, talk to some of the growth of, you know, where you guys started versus where you guys are today. You know, what were some of the, the things that you implemented along the way? I mean, you probably started with specializing in water. Is that yeah, maybe how it works? Yeah, and, and it really is. So you have to, to, to get into this, we call it restoration, but insurance restoration work. Yeah. You have to get certified in, in these things. Which isn't terribly difficult, but it, it, it does take time and, you know, effort. And there's a company or a organization called IICRC, which is like the standards and basic ethics of our industry. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to for insurance companies to use you, they want to see that you're certified in this organization. Got it. So that was one of the first things that we started doing. And I never in my life would have guessed, because in construction building houses, there was nothing like this. But in the restoration business, there is constant education and constant mm-hmm. learning of newer, better ways to clean and dry and faster and, and that kind of thing. So it's pretty neat, but it is constant. In fact, we have two employees right now at a microbial, you know, I think they call it an AMRT class, which is, I don't even know the, what the acronym stands for. But it's a basically learning about how to remediate mold. Got it. Out of your house. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's constant. Every year, every one of my employees is taking some type of class to keep themselves educated. Even the, the office managers. Wow. You know, are, we, we keep everybody educated. It really helps them understand the industry a little bit better and how to talk to people on the other Makes end sense. of the phone. Yeah. But that's a little off track, and I can go down rabbit holes really easy. <laughs> We'll go down some of those. <laughs> uh, one of the big questions, so where you guys are today, how much TPA work are you guys doing, would you say? Zero. Really? Because it's mostly commercial? No. In fact, it's uh, – so TPA is a third-party right, work, right? Mm-hmm. And getting into the business, I spent most of my efforts trying to qualify and get that work. Yeah. That's all I wanted. I yep. mean, that's just the – you know, it was the constant – you know, if you can make my phone ring and give me three jobs a week, this is going to be an awesome relationship. Yeah. Later on down the road for us, once we established our name a little bit better and had a good reputation, we found that these TPAs were kind of a, it goes the homeowner and then the insurance company hires this TPA. So there's another cook in the kitchen, you know, for lack of a better term. Sure. And then the TPA hires us. And so there's a lot of middlemen to discuss what's best for the homeowner before it gets back to the homeowner. Mm-hmm. And we found that is not what's best for the homeowner. That if the TPAs weren't involved and we show up to your house and we're dealing directly with you mm-hmm. and we do what's best for your house and then we explain that to the insurance company, they go, yep, you're right. And they typically, they pay for it. In the case where third parties are, they go through this process and even before it goes back to the homeowner, we have this TPA saying, we don't believe that's the best thing. We think you can do it this way. It could be cheaper. You could cut this corner. And eventually it just got to the point where we didn't want to stand behind the work we were putting in people's houses Mm -hmm. for that homeowner. That makes sense. So it's hard to walk away from business, you know, when someone's sending you stuff. But, 
in the long run, I have that belief that, man, if what we're doing needs, I guess the philosophy that if I wouldn't do it at my house, I won't do it at your house. Mm. And if it's not best for the homeowner or whoever owns that house, you know, the homeowner, it's not best for us. Interesting. You know? And that doesn't mean a dollar in my pocket that day, but hopefully it means many dollars in my pocket down the road. Down the road. So maybe it make it probably makes sense to explain a little bit about the industry a little bit, just for folks who don't know, because it can get kind of complicated, right? So example scenario is you've got a homeowner, they have a fire at their house and the sprinkler system causes some mold. And so they call their insurance person or whatever, yep. their insurance person in your case, gives them like a list of potential contractors they could be using? It can go several different ways. And yeah. each insurance company does it differently. Okay. So it's it's a constant dance that we're maneuvering and, and trying to figure out. And uh, even in each insurance company, depending on which agent or adjuster that the homeowner speaks to, might give them different information. Got it. A lot of them, it's not uncommon at all for the homeowner to call into one of the main carriers that you would see advertising during the Super Bowl, and they will say, we're sending X company out to your house from the TPA. Mm. They're sending, they're like, we'll send the next company out. There's maybe three or four companies in the area on a rotation, and someone's going to their house. Interesting. Uh, That's a, a normal way for things to happen. Another normal way is the homeowner, you know, and more, I think it's easier to focus on water and because we get so much more water than fire. Yeah. It is likely that someone listening to this podcast is having or has had a water damage at their house. Yeah. It's not likely that they've had a fire at their house. Exactly. You know, uh, so, and I, I don't know what the number is, but I mean, I would say somewhere 99 to one, maybe more okay. you know, of, of water to fire. Got it. So, and there's just so many avenues where water can get into your house. You know, there's, the toilets, the sinks, the refrigerator, you know, ice makers, all everything. You know, there's just a lot of avenues. So that another scenario would be the homeowner walks in their house and they got two inches of water on their floor. They get home from work. Instead of calling their agent or anybody, they just Google quickly water damage. Who can help me? And mm-hmm. then you got to have a strong presence you know, on that Google to, to, SEO. to, to pop up. That's yeah. right. So, and that's where we come in a lot. That's where we, the majority of our work comes from. Now, is that still insurance work? Would you guys contact their insurance Absolutely. company? Yeah. They can contact us directly. The homeowner can work with anybody they want to work with. It's their house. They can hire any contractor they want. Insurance Got cannot it. dictate who can and cannot work at their house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if they did call their insurance company, and their insurance company will tell you that, Quickly. They, they're not trying to hide that. Yep. I don't know if one way is terribly easier for them versus the other way, but they are set up for, I think they look at it as they want to be able to take care of their client. When their client calls with a problem, they're solving it by sending somebody Yeah. versus throwing their hands up and go, you've got to handle it. It's your house. Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't feel like customer service. No. So, but like I said, we didn't have a, we got a bad taste in our mouth from dealing with those third parties. So then, you know, you could call an agent, your agent, you know, somebody, Stephen Holland with State Farm down the road, you know, is, you know, you call them and they might give you a list of three companies. For a period of time, a lot of companies did that. They gave out three names. Usually you call the name on the top, you know, that's the one they gave you first. So for years, it was our goal to be that name on the top. Mm-hmm. And that was really a, a good scenario. It helps get, you know, but nobody has to deal with three companies. You don't have to get three quotes. And it's not, and unfortunately, it's not even something you can get a quote for. Mm-hmm. You know, you walk in your house and it's flooded two inches of water everywhere. Well, we can work on a quote that'll take us 10 hours to write up and we'll get it to you next Wednesday. What are you going to do meanwhile? Yeah. You know, while your house is flooded. Crap. So it's, hey, we got to start immediately and what can we do? And, and you got to build that trust with the, the homeowner and have that personality that, that can build that trust and, and make sure that, you know, and people want to feel good about it. Not like, oh my God, this guy's here to rip me off. Exactly. They want to trust you, but it's, it's probably a pretty it, it's, heated It's a hard moment. hump to get over, yeah. but if, if you can do a handful of these things, I think you have a big, you know, a big advantage over everybody else yeah. where there's three things that I think have to happen for us to get a job. And that's first is you got to be on Google and you got to come up the first page and really the top 
three, mm-hmm. you know. If you're looking for a pizza place, you know, you're not looking, scrolling down four pages and finding the last one down. No. You got to, boom, hey, these three places are near me and they look pretty good. Yeah, I'm going with this one, you know. Yep. And why? Did you have good reviews? You got to have good reviews, right? So you got to come up. You got to have good reviews. And then on top of that, if there can be one other touch, one other something out there where their neighbor recommended you, their agent recommended you, they mm-hmm. saw your trucks in the neighborhood the other day. Mm-hmm. If there's one other thing, if you get three of those hits, you're in. You're done. Yeah. And that's what I found. And we, so we'd spend a lot of money to keep our name at the top of Google and we put a lot of effort into getting good reviews. And then, then we use business development to get the word out. And, you know, it takes all three of those things. If one of them happens, it's, you got, if you're up there in Google and you got bad reviews, it means nothing. Yeah, correct. Yeah. So you just said you you recently hired a new business development guy. What yep. what does that role look like for how you guys are positioned in the market? We are heavily into residential real estate, and we'd like to get into other markets. And getting into commercial would would be a you know bigger part. We definitely do commercial, just not as much as I want to do. Mm-hmm. And commercial is a, as far as restoration goes, it's a Easier is not a, the best word, but I think dollar to dollar, it's a little bit easier. You know, we're dealing with, we might deal with a hundred thousand square foot and have one person we have to deal with yep. than, you know, a hundred different people, a yep. thousand square feet each, you know, so it's easier in that aspect. And it's a market that we're not having tapped into as, as much as we want to grow. Into so that. like, you know, working with property owners associations, yep. apartment associations, yep. that sort of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of those. And then building maintenance mm-hmm. and stuff like that, just like this building. Someone, someone's in charge of, you know, something happens, what do they do? Yeah. And, you know, getting a hold of that person, yep. that person's name and being in there, you know, on their phone yep. or their back pocket, as I would say, you know. Just kind of keeping in touch and yep. letting them know you um, exist. And really, once and doing a good, it's like any other business in the world, you know, you got to give someone to give you an opportunity. But then once you get that opportunity, you better do good, you know, or, you know, you did a lot of work for nothing. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's back up to 2010 time period when things were not going as well for you and you had to kind of, you didn't have a lot of business and the crash, obviously the financial crash obviously happened and you didn't declare bankruptcy, which is crazy, but you know, you dwindled a lot down at that point, right? Was that, so you said that was humbling, but talk emotionally about how that was feeling at the time. Were you feeling like broken? Like what was it, what was it like? Absolutely. I mean, just terrible, especially, I mean, we were really young and when we built our house over McGregor, I mean, it was, you know, stand up proud and, you know, push your chest out and beat on your chest or all, all the good stuff. I mean, you know, you felt like, you know, have done all these things right. And I mean, and we were, we thought we were really financially stable. I mean, the majority of stuff we had, it was all paid for. You know, it wasn't like we were, you know, financing the next thing for the next big thing. Yeah. You know, and that was the only reason we didn't end up going bankrupt. Is Makes sense. We could sell these things and then live off these things and pay down debts and stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, so, but I mean, it was a hard time. We also, you know, we had a fairly new family. My wife was super enjoying the country club lifestyle of being able to take her kids to school and, and, and work out for a couple hours before she went to work and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, and so when that stuff changed, it was, we used the word humbling, but I mean, it was a nightmare. I mean, it really tests our strength too. Now, my wife and I had been together. We've been married 20, coming up on 23 years. Wow. So at the time, I mean, we were still, you know, this is, you know, I guess married about 10 years at the time. My wife and I had, we both came from very middle-class background. Our families had everything we ever needed, but, you know, weren't crazy wealthy, weren't, certainly weren't poor. poor. Sure. But when we got married, we didn't have anything. So we built all this together, and then we lost it all together, you know, but she felt very, it hurt her feelings more than mine. You know, I think in any typical relationship, that's probably how it's going to go. I don't think men need a whole lot in their life to live. You know, put me in a mobile home with a nice TV and a, you know, nice recliner, and I'll probably be all right. You know, know, I think having a place at the beach and that her family's down at the coast as well. So it really defined her and and being down there. And when, when we had to sell that, I think it really Hurt her feelings. It's tough. Yeah, and change her, you know, like part of her identity. Yeah, that's right. It really changed her identity. So it was, it was hard, and it certainly put tension on us, 
you know, I mean, it was, you know, certainly it was not a great time of life, but it was in hindsight, it was really great because you got to look at it and go, what's important. My family's here. They're healthy. Things aren't that bad. You know, Hey, we don't got a lot of money. We don't have an extra house at the beach and those kind of things, but we do have everything we need. And is that important enough for you? Or is that enough for you to be happy? Yeah. And she had to sit down with herself and figure that out. And the answer is, of course, it was. And, and we're still happily married, kicking along now. But, I mean, there was a couple of years it sucked. Yeah. It's a, it's a stress test. It's the ultimate stress test, it, it, right? It really is. And it was good to go through. I don't want to do it again. <laughs> you know, but, but it's also good to know that, hey, when push comes to shove, this person is still in your corner at mm. the end of the day. I mean, if ever there was an easy time to get divorced, that was then, you know, there was nothing easy about our life. You know, we could have easily said, hey, we don't have anything to split up. Bye. You do your thing. I'm going to go do my thing. Yeah. And that's not, you know, what we chose. And, and you know, and that's anyways, it's, it is a great feeling knowing that, you know, you got that person that stands behind you no matter what. Yeah. I mean, it's in some ways, if that never happened, you wouldn't really know. That's that's right. So when you're putting in that test, you, you see what you do with it. And so anyway, that was. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. So let's talk back about, let's go back to the business and sort of how you grew things. And, and you shared a couple of key lessons that I like, but as you're building PRS and, and as you scale and, and continue to grow, what are some of the biggest, you know, lessons that you learned along the way? You know, obviously one of them was like, you know, let's make it so that we have a company that can withstand economic turmoil. Like that's a pretty obvious learning that you had, right? What's another, you know, what are some other things that you learned along the way, maybe about hiring or just running the business in general? The biggest thing, I think hiring is so obvious that, you know, how much discussion there could be there. But I mean, yeah. without good people, there is no good company, right? It's just impossible to have a good business without good people. So, I mean, it really, for me, that's like without being said, I mean, you got that it's got to start there. Mm -hmm. But then how do you manage those people and create the culture and keep those people and, you know, and continue to build your business? So about four years ago, we finally had grown the company to doing enough volume where up until that point, I was wearing every single hat in the company. You know, I would be the estimator. I'd be the guy out there helping pull up carpet. I'd be yep. not as much, you know, obviously as this other guys, but I was still doing everything on call all the time, making sure that people are getting where they need to go. And that's, you know, when you're starting a company, that has to be the way it works. And I think there's a great book about it, The E-Myth mm -hmm. by, what's his name, Gerber, maybe? Michael Gerber. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm not... I'm gonna. I might mention a couple of books, but they're like the only books I've read in my life. So, like, I don't read a lot, but it is important to pick out some of these books that that might help you, and that's one of them. But it follows, and it, it really that book spoke to me at the time. And we decided we had gotten big enough. We were doing about a little over two million dollars in revenue, mm -hmm. and that I couldn't do any more. I really couldn't grow any bigger. By my by doing being, all these things, mm -hmm. you know, I have to, you got to back up and at some point make a leap from being the best at doing the work because you're doing it yourself to managing people to do the best and, you know, and that, that way. So that's kind of what the book's about, about a lot more than that. But so we started looking into how we could grow and change and work on our business instead of in our business and every other cliche you can you know think about yeah. so we started that maybe even five years ago now but we hired a coach probably about four years ago and we had interviewed several coaches and tried to find the value and who we thought we would go with and, and mesh with the best mm -hmm. we ended up finding a friend that was in this industry and he was retiring he had sold the company to his son. They live up in Asheville. And after talking to him, I don't think he had dreams of doing that, but he had so much information about the business and how to grow it and how to be successful. And he had worked with several coaches over his years. Got it. So he wasn't a coach per se, but I had the best connection with him. And I was telling him about these other people I was working with. And one night after drinks, I was like, you know, why don't you help me and do this. And he's like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> well, six months later, he calls up and says, hey, man, you still want help? And I was like, yeah, I still haven't hired anybody. And 
He's like, I'm in. So I think he retired, had six months to get bored. Yep. And then he's like, you know what? I'll talk to this guy for an hour a week and, <laughs> you know, make some money. And it's been a great fit. He's been very helpful about almost like a father figure who'd been in the business, you know, just guiding yep. you. Like, hey, man, I've been down that road. You can try that. But yep. I would, you know, maybe try going this way. And the main thing that we started focusing on, which is back to the e-myth and, and really any, I think, the beginning of anybody who's ready to transform working on their business versus in their business mm-hmm. is giving everything a label, breaking down the whole process, writing it down, and then giving each employee in your organization a job description so that everybody has a title, everybody has a position, and every position is labeled and what they need to do clearly understand how they need to do it yeah so that process is overwhelming for me as a business owner and 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 it can only be done with myself and my wife no one else can do it for you you can read everybody else's that they've done but it really doesn't pertain to you and your company Mm -hmm. and it was it was helpful to look at other people's stuff but ultimately had to write all this stuff for every position ourselves. it probably ended up taking us a year Wow. To do that. You know, and meanwhile, you're running this business the whole yeah, time, right? And exactly. and I'm doing all I can because I'm not working on my business yet. I'm really, I'm building up to working on my business. So I'm doing all these things and fitting this other part in as much as I can. To me, that was the probably the most difficult time of uh, my running the business and being the owner that I could do. Because it felt, I just I stretched thin. Yeah running the whole thing and, and trying to have this idea of there's got to be a better way. How can I build it? So, and that was the idea. We were at this company, we were making $2 million a year and realized that we could not make more than that unless we change and start from the foundation and build it, build this perfect machine that at some point in time, all the gears are cranking mm-hmm. and now we can start adding more gear. So you were planning, you, you planned for a year, you were writing down these systems and processes. Yep. What was the first action item? Well, I think for me, and I might not be following the question exactly, but is right, is the job descriptions themselves. So, But once you created all those plans, once you put it all together, yep. and what was the well, first well, getting, step in implementing it? The buy-in from the employees Yep. going into, hey, this is, this is how we're going to do it now. And Here's what we're holding you accountable to. Yep. And here's how we're measuring your success and whether you're doing it or not doing it. And, you know, it weeded out some people pretty quick that are like, you know, oh, I didn't have to do that before. Why am I doing this now? Yeah. And, you know, that kind of thing. And and those are the people that are holding you back. Right. And they're not as obvious. They're also the people that help you get to where you were going. Exactly. But when you get to that point and you have to go to the, or you want to go to the next point, you know, sometimes you got to shed that skin, you know, and that was a process too. And that was over the course of another year. It's not that we implemented this and then, well, Hey, you're not doing what we want you to do. And a month later you're fired. You know, it was like, this was a year, come on, here's where we want you to go. And eventually they don't go that way. And you're like, Hey, we got to change. Yeah. So that was the really good next thing after just implementing those things where everybody has their own specific thing they're supposed to do and everyone knows what they're supposed to do, man, life gets a lot easier. It really does. At that point, I was able to start looking back and and working more on the business and doing little things, picking projects that we could work on and improve and maybe rewrite and change the job description or whatever and not have as much for me to do personally. Because also at that stage is when I was trying to hire enough people to, so I, I wasn't the one writing estimates or going in the field and doing the rebuilds or being there for every mitigation. You know, mm-hmm. we started putting these people in those places that could do that, which is really rewarding after you build this whole thing. And then you look back two years later and you see this machine running and you see where I don't have to be there this week. I can leave and it's going to run the same way. Does it run better when I'm there? Of course. Yeah. You know, but can it run without me being there? Yes. You know, that's awesome, which is phenomenal. And which goes back to everything we kind of started is why we built this business is 
at some day we're going to want to step away from this business. And you know more than I do, but from what I understand, you know, the value of a business is you not having to be there. That's a big part of it. it it's obviously based on cash flow. But yeah, a sure. Big part of that cash flow is, you know, does the buyer think that they can replace your responsibilities and the fewer responsibilities you have, the easier that is. Right. And so that's part of what helps with that multiple. So, so, yeah. and then of course, cash flow is always a, a dilemma and how to manage it. And, and, and I think we've gotten in a really good place. And then as soon as you feel really comfortable, you go out and build yourself a new million dollar building and you ain't got no cash, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, where to go? Yeah. Now I got to build it back up, you know? So keeping that and uh, yeah, I think no matter what, you know, I always think, well, if we get to this next ridge, but then, then there's, you know, always another mountain right behind it. Yeah. So talking about your business structure and just, just for particularly you guys, you do mitigation work. Is that typically your guys doing one to two day kind of mitigation and then you sub out the rest That's of the exactly work? exactly. We operate. And yeah. Everybody does it a little bit different, but uh, we have our own employees that do all the demo and cleaning. Mm-hmm. And then and we break every job down into two at least two separate projects and they have their own contract and everything. So you'll, if you had a water damage at your house, you call us, we show up and you sign one contract for the mitigation. We're going to dry you out. We're going to clean you up. Usually the demo and the mitt, the demo and the drying are, the demo takes a day or so to pay our average job. I mean, there's some that are huge that take a week, you know, but mm-hmm. it takes a day and then we dry for three or four days and then that's done. Then we draw a line in the sand and then our project manager, our, our repair project manager comes in and writes a whole a scope of what needs to be replaced, prices everything out, Got hands it. that, you know, estimate to the homeowner and then, and the adjuster possibly shares that with everybody. Once it gets agreed upon, then we can start that process. Okay. And that's a whole nother process that we've written a whole list of every step of the way, how many days each part of that step should take, you know, who's responsible for what during that process. Yeah. Breaking that out is, I mean, that stuff is awesome, you know, showing it where we can show it on a, a calendar to the homeowners. Of, Here's what to expect for the next several days. Funny, some of them still don't like we sit there and talk about it and they still won't hear a word we said They're like why is this taking so long like yeah. well we're on step two a 15 step process yeah but you know it's all set up to protect the homeowner we don't take any money up front from the homeowner when we start this process so every nightmare they've ever heard of on wrl that some contractor took their money and ran off and didn't perform the service they don't have that scenario when working with us we do all of this up front we we put back their house and when they're finally happy then we get paid and you want to talk about something that can crunch cash flow oh my gosh that, that'll do it you yeah. know but we've set it up in a scenario where it really puts the homeowner in a better place so that they trust what we're doing versus skeptical the whole time and mm-hmm. not think we're trying to cut a corner. Yep. And we're not. We're really trying to do the best thing for them and their house. Yeah, I love that. That's something we're trying to build out at Midstreet with the just the client interaction, the same thing, just kind of updating them on the process because it can kind of seem like, I'm sure you can empathize with this, it can kind of seem like from their perspective, oh, nothing's happening right. unless you, but if you give an update, something's happening when in reality you're probably working on it, you just got to give that That's update. That's exactly right. And we... You know, we, we, we go over that with our project managers time and time again that yeah. if the homeowner doesn't know, then they are absolutely picturing that you are at the movies, you know, doing yep. nothing right now, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and even though that you've called their adjuster three times this week and the customer, the adjuster has not returned your phone call, like, they need to know every yep. one of those calls. Yep. Know, hey, I got the message, you know. And that little documentation takes time, takes mm-hmm. effort, and but it's the key to – Communication is always the key to any good relationship. You know, it starts with that. If you don't have good communication, you're not going to have a good relationship. Yeah. And then one thing that we've started using a lot more recently is templating certain boilerplate emails that we send out. Not not boilerplating the entire email, but just kind of just making it so that we have to think less about what we're sending for yeah. things that we send all the time. Like we get a lot of inquiries from buyers who are looking at companies we're selling. And it's like, I used to send individual, like, right. thanks for inquiring, blah, 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 blah. Now I just template it you know, insert a little kind of personalized piece for that specific buyer. And then I send it out and it's like done in, you know, 20 seconds. Yep. So that's been a game changer for us too. Continuing all along the lines of the business 
success kind of conversation with you know working on the business the regular meetings discussion so what kind of regular meetings do you have and how do you make sure it doesn't get out of hand that's another side of the coin right because it's great to have meetings where you check in and you have the quality control but you could also have too many meetings about that that is super easy to have too many meetings and we have found that well and i don't think we're different than many people in our industry we have a weekly meeting for all our project managers where we sit down. So in our company, we have one mitigation manager and two repair or structure project managers. And we sit down and then they have a coordinator that is kind of managing what they're doing as far as not in the field, but as far as task and paperwork and is everything, you know, do we have all the things in the file that it needs and mm-hmm. each one of those files. And that little pod of people is a, we're probably doing about as much as we can possibly do with start with the next step is to add another pod. Mm-hmm. You know, we can't, we might can fit one more repair manager in there and then that's, we're going to be running that a hundred, you know, running hot. Got it. But so sitting down weekly for what we call our WIP meetings or work in progress meeting mm-hmm. is imperative. Going over the coordinator takes every single one of the mitigation manager's job. You know, so there's three sheets or documents we have to go over. We have, you know, each one of the manager's stuff to go over. And we sit down okay. name by name. What's going on with this job? These are all jobs pending or sales pending. These are all in progress and these are all receivable. Where are we at with this and why? And, you know, doing it every week and you see the same name three weeks and you're like, this hasn't moved. Yep. Why is what's going on here? You know, it stands out versus easily lost because I haven't heard the name, you know, Zuckerman in three months. And now I hear it again and their homeowners calling they're mad. Like, and they're mad. Mm-hmm. I know why they're mad, you know, because here we started their project three months ago. Yeah. You know, so uh, hearing that and it's good for me, but it's also good for everybody else in the room. And it's really good, I believe. And our business development man sits in on that as well. Got it. So he can know he's hearing the new jobs that came in, where they came from and, you know, and what's going on. He worked hard to sell some of these jobs. Are they going well? Are they falling through? Yeah. yeah. You know, or did we lose it? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So, that's one meeting. And then our other meeting is our business development meeting. That's another meeting that we have weekly, which is also needed. I don't want any more meetings. <laughs> but, I mean, before these last two years, we never had a meeting. Wow. I mean, you know, we would have something, you know, we would get together on occasion when there was a problem or to talk about something, but not anything that was scheduled to go Let's talk about this. Yeah. Let's see our vision. Agenda driven type yeah, stuff. And yeah, and I might say two years, probably three years now. Wow. But it definitely is. Uh, we also have a monthly meeting for everybody. We meet in the morning. We provide breakfast. We just go over some housekeeping rules typically. You know, hey, you're not keeping your trucks clean. Or this whole past two years has been, hey, wash your hands. Wear your mask, mask, you know, whatever. And I mean, that's a whole new thing to navigate in in this world. You know, we have guys that are going to people's houses. Some people could care less. Some people want to talk about the politics of it. And some people think that you are literally in their house and it will probably kill them. And to deal with that on a daily basis, and especially for my guys who got to deal with this, you know, it's it's a lot. It is. It's a Um, whole other dynamic. It is. And so it's a whole new world. I mean, everything we touch probably takes... 20 30 percent longer than it used to wow just to whether it's a mask or, or or cleaning differently or that we can't get this particular kind of toilet because it's just on back order yep. and or that part for the toilet or the flooring flooring is a nightmare hey we got it we ordered it they said it's going to be here it's supposed to be in thursday on wednesday we learned that it's not coming in they don't have it and we don't know what to tell you and like and they're like, you suck. And I'm like, yeah. this situation does suck. But like we've done all the normal things, checked off all the right boxes to, to do it. And of course, once that happens, then we try to figure out how to not let that happen again. Again, yeah. But it, I mean, it's just a new world. And it's a new, it's a new problem every time we turn around, you know. So, And then everyone turns around like, man, I just cost them, this is taking so much more time. We're going to start charging you more money, yeah. you know. And then we start charging more money and the insurance company goes, Eh, it's not the going rate right now. We're not paying that. And they're like, well, that's what we're paying. 
then then you put the homeowner in a bad situation because, well, this is our price, and they're like, well, we, you know, the insurance company's not going to pay for that. Yeah. And ninety five percent of the time, we get to work through that, and it works. But if you're one of those five percent of the people, you don't feel good about it where it doesn't work out. You know where. Mm-hmm. PRS is saying, well, this is our price. We can't do your project and lose money yeah. or, or not make our typical margin. So if we can't do it for this amount of money, we're not going to do it. And then, you know, and then the homeowners absolutely have a I'm not sure. a great taste in their mouth. I'm sure. So you got to figure out how to, how to do that tactfully. Do you guys use Xactimate? Yes. Have you been having issues with the pricing that they give you? And that's kind of what I was just yeah, yeah. touching on. Yes. We adjust exact mates price list to our price list yep anyways yep so sometimes insurance companies hate it sometimes they could care less man we're we're not jacking up rates just to you know try to make more money it's like this is i mean every job is a formula yep. hey man if job costs this much we got to make this much on it and here's how much we're charging yep. you know and if we don't make that amount of money we don't keep the doors open. Yeah. Well, it just like prices for like wood in general. I mean, we sold a, a crate and pallet company and they used to quote for like a period of 30 days, maybe even longer, depending on the customer for pricing. And and then they turned into like 24 hour quotes, you know, so it's, <laughs> it's like, it's just getting insane with yeah. the supply chain stuff. Wow. But so we do follow or we do work off Xactimate pricing and it is, I mean, it is the industry standard. It is what everybody looks at. And yep. there's been tons of discussion on with Xactimate on how we can change it and how their price can better mirror what our industry, you know, you What's know what actually? we're paying the HVAC guy and yep. those types of things. And then you dig deeper and, you know, you find out, you know, who their biggest clients are are not contractors like me. Xactimate's biggest clients are, you know, State Farm or the carriers yep. who are, are are these people. You know, that's that's their number one client. So who are they looking to protect? Them or us? So are they looking to keep costs down? Or are they looking to you know do what's fair? And there's a gray area there. Definitely. And that's why you you kind of got it's like everything else in the world. I mean. You, you can use anything you want, but if you don't make it yours and you're just using someone else's template, you're you're probably not going to be what – you're not going to make the money you want. I can tell you that. Yeah, 100%. Okay, so as we wrap up, let's talk about the company. What are you most excited for in the next year? So you just you just got into a brand-new building. So, so the brand-new building has a, a training room, a training facility, and I think that's what I'm most excited for is to bring – people that are in our industry, maybe their agents, maybe their adjusters in to provide them some CE classes and they get to see us. They get to see our facility. They get to see, meet our people. We get to show off, you know, these yeah. people are better than the other people or at least have that, you know, mentality. And I think that's pretty exciting, you know, to, to, to be able to do that. Also to, to continue to grow, my goal is not to be the biggest kid in town, you know, I already got that probably weight wise. I don't necessarily need to do it in the business, <laughs> but, uh, there's some sweet spots in the insurance world and companies like mine that I really think that, you know, when we hit, there's some five to 8 million, maybe, you know, is a really good place to live. Mm-hmm. And really after that, I got to go get another facility Yeah, and which is not the end of the world, but I don't know that I'm looking to, you know, my kids might have to worry about that yeah. instead of me. And, you know, when I say that, I don't care if my kids want to go into this business or not. And that's how we're trying to set everything set up. Everything yeah. up. Like, hey, if they want it, great. It's going to cost them this much. And they don't want it, yep. great. It's for sale for this much. Yeah. How old are your kids? One just turned 18. Okay. And the other is almost 14. Okay. And uh, if I had to bet, I'd put money on the 14-year-old might be in the business. But... You know, it's funny. It could go either way. Why would you say that? He has more interest in it than, you know, my oldest kid is like, hey, I'm broke. What can I do for money? <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, hey, you can come to work Saturday. We need you. He's like, eh, I'm good. And the 13 year old is like, I'll come. I'm ready. <laughs> you know, just a little bit motivated uh, differently. So obviously you're a business owner and, and you're in this sort of unique position. There's a lot of business owners that exist, but most dads are probably working normal jobs, et cetera. As your kids were growing up and as you were parenting your kids with your wife, et cetera, was there kind of an understanding that 
dad's a little bit different than some of these other families were around? And how did you how did you manage? I'm probably that? different for several reasons, and also my personality, you know, probably leads me into being a small business owner, you know, entrepreneurship. I've got a big personality, you know, and there's people that have bigger personalities than me, but you know, it's, there's not often where someone goes to a party and doesn't not remember me, you know, I'm the loud guy in the corner. So having that personality certainly helps, but when it comes to your kids, sometimes I, I think you don't want them to live in your shadow. Yeah. The last thing I want is, you know, to ever hear the words out of their mouth is because daddy said so, you know, or I've seen grown men say that, you know, and I'm like, dude, that is not, I could not live with that, having raised my kids that way. So I try to teach them to be their own kid, but it is, they know their dads, as they say a lot, <laughs> their words. <laughs> and, but I think they also, you know, kind of respect that. And they're constantly impressed with how many people we know and who we're doing jobs for. And, you know, I mean, we're doing jobs for every famous person you can possibly think of in the triangle. We've, not everyone, but, Almost. I mean, we've been to their house. That's cool. You know, the biggest sport figures, the all that stuff. You know, we, we get to check them out. And and it's kind of one of our niches. We find ourselves working higher-end homes than, okay. than maybe other companies. And uh, we have a lot of relationships with the builders who built those homes mm. to start with. And that's how we end up there. But it's neat. And they're impressed with that kind of stuff, you know. But they're also, I mean, you know, you do at least a couple hundred jobs a year for families. And these are all homeowners, good part, you know, that's our, our, the people that we work with, our demographics are all, you know, middle-class homeowners or, or, or above. And then you get to see these people at the ball games, at the grocery store, at the movie, you know, and they're like, Hey Kevin, how you doing? You know, and the, the kids, you know, I think, I think that's a lot, you yeah. know, to, to, and the kids appreciate that, you know, and, and that's a, it's a positive thing, especially in a world where there's not even a ton of, they don't have the, nearly the same interaction that we had growing up 100%, with other people. 100%. Well, they've got more online. Yeah, yeah, right. But less real yeah. person to person. Yeah. Well, great, Kevin. I'm going to let's wrap up here. But where can people find you? How can people, uh, if they need restoration services, how can they help out? How can Google. they find you? Google us. That's the best. <laughs> you know, we're professional restoration services. We're in Apex. And that's the best way to find us. You know, Google it. It has all the contacts. We have a 24-hour office number that if you've got a problem, you call it. You're going to speak to a live person and get somebody on the phone that can help you out immediately. Perfect. So uh, that's pretty good. And, of course, you know, you can always email us at office at prshelp.com. Come good. by and visit us in our Check new training out. center. Very good. Thanks, Kevin. <laughs> Thank Appreciate you. it, man. Enjoyed it.